0: Well, hello, and welcome back to the Sincere Reform Podcast. My name is Zach Wise. I'm here with my co-pastor, Brandon Burks, and uh, this week we're beginning a new series where we're going to be talking about some of the ways that our reform tradition is uh, different from the Baptistic tradition. And the reason we're going to be doing that is because not only is there a large contingent of uh, Roman Catholics in the city of Cincinnati, which is why we did that uh, series uh, previously that differentiated ourselves from Roman Catholicism. Obviously, we spoke about things as well that we appreciate about the uh, Roman tradition, but we have some very clear cut differences there. Well, now we begin to think about the uh, Baptistic tradition that also um, uh, is, is very prevalent here in Cincinnati. We want to uh, affirm some things about them that we are in agreement on, and as we think about the previous series with uh, respect to Roman Catholicism, many of the things that we mentioned there about the doctrine of salvation, we're actually in agreement with the um, Baptists on much of that, if not all of that. kind of depends on which stripe of Baptist you're talking about, of course. But just to say that as we begin to think about differences with the Baptistic tradition, we're not saying this means in a mean-spirited way, the reality is that our Reformed tradition is not so well known here in Cincinnati. And so we feel like it's important to clarify where it is that we are in, in difference, uh, hold a difference with the Baptistic uh, tradition. Last thing to note as we um, start to transition into the practical stuff for today is that as we're speaking about Baptistic uh, theology here, we're not talking about only Southern Baptists. We're talking about Baptistic theologies. So that might mean a church that's just evangelical. It could mean a church from the uh, Church of Christ, Christian Church. It could mean Southern Baptist, um, EV free, oftentimes, and others as well. So, just to clarify that those churches, although they're not part of one um, denomination or conference or something like that or a network, that they do share a Baptistic theology as well. And we think that there are some places there where we can interact a bit, hopefully clarify why it is that the Reformed Church and Reformed uh, tradition is a a bit distinct. So I hope that's uh, clear. Today we're going to talk about the covenants that God made with um, his church and how we have a different covenant theology than is found within the uh, Baptistic tradition. So um, Brandon, how about you just kick us off here? Maybe you can begin to introduce us to some things that uh, suggest that we have a different view of covenant theology from the uh, Baptists.
1: Right. So the Baptists, um, in, in the Baptistic tradition, they don't have like some, you know, one view of, of covenants or something something like that. There's actually many different views. There's... Um, you know, the, the more Calvinistic Baptist might be 1689, you have the Southern Baptist uh, holding to the Baptist faith and message. Uh, some people are dispensational in their view. So there's a lot of different variety within a Baptistic tradition, but I wanted to, to highlight uh, a couple of those today because really all of those, uh, um, all of the, the plurality, they're all different still from what we would hold in the Reformed tradition. Um, so th- those who might, uh, who might hold to a more Calvinistic, particular Baptist view, um, holding to the Baptist 1689 Confession of Faith, the 1689 Confession of Faith has a chapter on covenants. And it unpacks a, a covenant theology. You don't always see that in Baptist confessions of faith. For example, in the Southern Baptist uh, Baptist Faith and Message, uh, there is no chapter on covenants. In fact, I think the word covenant only comes up twice in the entire document, and once it's to mean marriage. And so, uh, not really fleshed out at all uh, for the for these Southern Baptists. Uh, but those who who hold to a more Calvinistic 1689. Uh, Baptist view um, use a lot of the same language that the Reformed do. So like we talk about a covenant of grace and a covenant of works and a covenant of redemption. Again we did a podcast on covenant theology um, uh, maybe a year ago and so I can, I'll can i put that in the show notes page in case you want to kind of refresh your your memory on what covenants theology is and what, what, what all these covenants are. Uh, but in terms of a 1689 Baptist uh, covenant view so um, they, they hold, like we do, to a covenant of works. A covenant of works, quite basically, means that in the Garden of Eden, Adam was in a probation period, and uh, he entered into a covenant with with God where whereby if he gave God perfect, personal, exact, entire obedience, he would advance to glory. He would advance to consummation. He would have entered a a heightened communion bond and brought him and all of his posterity um, uh, to a place even better than eden and um, he failed that covenant he broke the covenant and um, after um, after adam and eve uh, fell then we enter into the old testament time and the way that the 1689 Baptists understand the Old Testament is they typically see that as the Old Covenant. And the Old Covenant they think is kind of like the Covenant of Works in the Garden of Eden. And so when you're reading through the Old Covenant, you're reading through a, a republication, a reviving uh, uh, if you will, of the covenant of works that was happening in the Garden of Eden. Now it's a little bit different. It's not one for one, uh, meaning um, you know, Israel wasn't to give God perfect exact uh, obedience to enter a state of glory. It was to um, to retain the, the land in Israel and these kinds of things. But it was very much, much a, a works base, a do this and live principle, they would say, throughout the entire Old Testament. And the Old Testament, the Old Covenant, was a do this and live principle but it revealed the promise of christ it revealed the promise of the covenant of grace that would come in the new covenant and so these 1689 baptists would say that the new covenant is the covenant of grace the covenant of grace did not exist prior to the new covenant but the covenant of grace is only the new covenant it, it, it was revealed in promise form in the Old, but it didn't arrive until, until Christ. And so that's how they would understand uh, this, this Old Covenant, New Covenant um, kind, of, kind of thing. One Baptist theologian, uh, Pascal Deneau, he said, The Abrahamic Covenant, the Sinaitic Covenant, and the Davidic Covenant were not the covenant of grace, nor an administration of it. And he goes on to say that all the covenants prior to Christ, including the Abrahamic, was abolished and replaced by the new covenant. And he concludes saying that historically, Baptists believe that only the regenerate elect were in the covenant because they saw... Only one level of the covenant of grace into, one, into which one enters through faith. In other words, to be a member of the covenant of grace, he would say, you have to be born again, elect, um, professing faith in order to enter the covenant of grace. Now, the Baptists, uh, holding to the 1689 view, would say that in the Old Covenant, in the Old Testament, the covenant community was mixed you had believers and unbelievers. You know how Paul said, for example, in Romans, not all Israel was Israel. So you had a mixed covenant community in the old in the Old Testament, in the Old Covenant. But as you come into the new covenant they argue, which is the covenant of grace, now there is no mixed uh covenant anymore. Now Only born-again believers who are professing faith are in the New Covenant. And because of that, they only give believers the sign of baptism, which we'll talk about later. So that's how the, the Calvinistic Baptists have kind of understood covenant theology. Wanting to see a very drastic separation between the Old Covenant which is of works, of the covenant of works, and then the new covenant, which is the covenant of grace. And they see this kind of radically different um, bifurcation there within the story of redemption. Um but not all Baptists, modern, um, follow this um, this 1689 view. There are other Baptists who have different views on, on the covenants. Um, some people don't even like the language that we use of covenant of work or covenant of grace. They, they, they see those as just theological concepts, and they want to look at God's covenants in isolation. Almost like a... Um, Um, isolating each one in an atomistic way and seeing what each one is doing within the pages of Scripture rather than finding a unity on how they're connected and how they flow to and from each other. So, for example, one uh, modern-day Baptist uh, theologian in, in the Southern Baptist tradition, he said that the reform, talking about our view, the reformed fails to understand correctly the proper relationship between the biblical covenants and the degree of continuity and discontinuity between them. He goes on to say that the idea of a covenant of grace is not helpful. He sees it as merely theological and not biblical. Uh, he says the Bible just speaks plain; it just speaks of a plurality of covenants, many covenants. And so a unifying covenant of grace, he says, is misleading. And, he, and so he said we should place a moratorium on covenant of grace as a category when speaking of the biblical covenants. To continue to speak of one covenant of grace too often leads to a flattening of Scripture. This flattening of Scripture is clearly taken place when the Pado baptists that's us, identified and equates the Abrahamic covenant with the covenant of grace as though it actu- actually were that covenant. So again, uh, Wellam wants to view the covenants atomistically one at a time and unpack them one at a time without without uh, kind of taking note of the grander unifying view of uh, of redemptive history and how how redemption has has unfolded. And in fact, he sees quite a high degree of discontinuity between many of the covenants, especially coming from the Old, old uh, Covenant into the New Covenant, where he sees um, a lot of the discontinuity happening, where it would be inappropriate, he says, for a Christian now to look back to Abraham. It would just be not appropriate because of the high degree of discontinuity. So, Zach, this obviously is, is trending in a different direction than the Reformed have, have spoken about God's covenants. Um, maybe you could highlight a few differences that you, that you noted between uh, our view and a kind of a Baptistic approach.
0: Certainly. Well, you've already begun to touch on this in terms of our starting point and definition of covenants of grace. We certainly do not hesitate to use that term, do we? Because when we think about God's plan and God's work from the time that Adam fell until the time that Christ returns, we're we're looking at one Savior, looking at one promise, we're looking at one people of God, although it might look different at different points in time, there is underlying continuity there. As Romans 11 teaches, there's one olive tree that grows up and... The Jews were a part of that in the Old Testament, and we're grafted into that in the New Testament. And there's that continuity that uh, exists there uh, between not just uh, a continuity of promise, but also a continuity of people, because there's a continuity of the, same, the one person of, of Jesus Christ. And so when we think about the covenant of grace, we're thinking about the time from Adam's fall, Genesis 3.15, when God came down and promised that the seed of the woman would come and do battle against the serpents. And that by doing battle, we find life rather than the death that had come to mankind because of uh, because of sin. And here is um, a quote from a helpful book here that we have called A Sacred Bond. We would encourage our listeners to... Uh, pick that up it's an introductory um, volume to covenant theology can be very helpful for you but here's a helpful uh, definition that this book gives about the covenant of grace it says the covenant of grace is the covenant between god and believers with their children in which he promises salvation through faith in christ who merited their salvation by his obedience in the covenant of redemption the essence of the covenant of grace is summarized in god's promise I will be your God, and you shall be my people. While it might might not be the exact same words that you find in Genesis 3.15, that's the substance of what God came down and promised there. And that also becomes the way that uh, the people of God that emerges in Genesis chapter 4. And you see the lineage going through the book of Genesis. that all revolves around those promises that God made first to Adam, later then uh, renewed to... Um, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and that lineage is the church, and so you see that then transpire and uh, progress through the entire Old Testament. It should be clear then that the way that we view the covenant of grace is that it is always, not just in the Old Testament, but in the New Testament as well, it is always a mixed covenant. You have some who are elect and true, truly regenerate in the covenant people of God, but then it's a mixture of them with some who are hypocrites, who've received the administration of the covenant, they've received circumcision, they've received baptism, and later on you find out that they were never uh, truly regenerate in the first place. But we leave that to God, we do not not try to discern that um, ourselves beyond where we are capable and likewise um, i hope that our, you noted that we uh, include children in the covenant of grace both before christ and also after christ and so our conception of the covenant of grace is uh, quite different than the way that the uh, baptistic tradition would then uh, think about it and speak of it another place as we kind of narrow in on this concept of the covenant of grace where we have a pretty stark difference is in our view of the Abrahamic covenant. The Wellam quote from earlier um, said very clearly that the Abrahamic is not the covenant of grace. It might witness to the covenant of grace, but it is not itself the uh, covenant of grace. And we certainly take issue with that because throughout the Abrahamic uh, covenant and the many administrations of that where God came down, he continues to say, I will, I will, I will, God promising over and over and connecting his promise with the covenants and with the sign of the covenant, which is circumcision. So we cannot separate Genesis 15, where God comes down to Abraham in visionary form and makes all sorts of promises to Abraham of salvation, of giving Abraham a people, a place, and a blessing. You cannot separate that from the, um, the, the covenant that is formally made in chapter twelve, then chapter seventeen, with the sign of the covenant. This is all one and the same thing as a covenant of grace that is made and administered in a particular way to Abraham, and that includes then all of Abraham's household. So we view the the Abrahamic covenant then I think quite differently. Now I would just maybe mention that I think that. Um, If I were holding to a Baptistic view, I would have a very hard time engaging with uh, the book of Galatians as it speaks about the continuity between the Abrahamic promise and covenant with the gospel that has come to us. It says that the gospel is pre-preached to Abraham. And it talks about that great promissory covenant that was made so long ago. And that's the exact same thing that Paul was then bringing To the uh, Galatian churches so and then you can go
1: on to say and if to to a new covenant people mm -hmm. and if you believe you are Abraham's offspring that's I mean just constant direct uh, Mm -hmm. correlation between
0: Abraham and New Covenant Abraham and New Covenant that's right we see see the same thing as well in Romans don't Mm -hmm. we where Abraham becomes the paradigmatic father of faith Mm -hmm. and we're not some part of some other people but by faith, we are a part of Abraham's people. It might look different on this side of Christ, but they're not two different peoples of God. Mm-hmm. It's really one people of God. And so I hope that this kind of then leads into the, the final difference I'd mention here, just the difference that, in the way that we view then the new covenant. So again, let me just read from Sacred Bond. gives a helpful um, definition here for us when it says, the new covenant is God bringing forth the new creation in his people through the finished work of Christ in fulfillment of the Abrahamic covenants. So again, as we think about the new covenant, we're not making it somehow bifurcated with what came before, but it is the full realization of Abraham and we are those same Abrahamic people. But once again, it looks different on this side of the cross of Jesus Christ. What's interesting, too, is how Deneau talked about
1: the New Covenant uh, abolishing, replacing mm-hmm. Abraham,
0: whereas the Reform now speaking more of fulfillment. Mm-hmm. That's right. Well, um, maybe as we kind of bring some of our thoughts to a close here, Brandon, you just recently made this transition, and a pretty big one, for you moving into the reformed church and becoming a pastor within the reformed church from being a baptist pastor and even a senior pastor at that and so maybe you can reflect a little bit for our listeners viewers on what were some key things that helped you to make that transition and to come to maybe some better clarity in terms of what the bible teaches about covenant theology
1: yeah i mean uh there were probably several things that that happened I'll, I'll just name a couple um kind of i guess light bulbs that uh went off as you know reading scripture uh one was just thinking about the the story of redemption and seeing how children played a part in God's covenant. I mean, from from the very beginning, from the opening of Scripture, all the way through, I mean, kids are just involved and included in the covenant. And in fact, when when you if if the covenant community is going to move or something and they're going to like leave the children or the covenant community is not going to have the children in it it's usually made explicit in scripture because it's always just assumed that it's going to be um, parents and, and their children that is the covenant community the household i mean this is very abrahamic and then as you come into the new covenant i was just wrestling with the question does it make sense that as the new covenant's getting bigger, as the Holy Spirit is expanding, as the gospel's going forward and including more and more people, that all of a sudden the covenant community shrinks because we've we don't have the we don't have the kids anymore. And um, Robert Letham he asked that kind of a, a question that really rattled me at a time where he said um, he was talking about Pentecost and he said you know if if children were excluded in the new covenant and they've been in, the, in every covenant for thousands of years, and then all of a sudden, sudden Christ comes, the Holy Spirit is being poured out, and they're excluded now, then he made the statement that uh, Pentecost would have been the, the, the biggest event of excommunication in history. And I was kind of wrestling with that. And as I was reading through the New Testament, um, I, I was kind of asking the question in my mind, do the biblical authors uh presuppose the inclusion of children as they've always been, or do they speak as though the children are excommunicated or or not included or kicked out or something do 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 they presuppose their inclusion or their exclusion and just over and over it just appeared to me that uh they always presuppose that children are included. I mean, Acts chapter 2, as Peter's talking to the crowd, and he says, you know, be baptized as promises for you and for your children, those who are far off. And how would these Jewish converts to Christianity have understood that as he's saying, you know, this is for you and, and your children? They would have, I think, understood that in a very Abrahamic way. I don't think that, that they would have understood that as being, well, my kids are, are excluded until they grow up and, and, and have faith or have an experience about being born again. I think he's actually speaking about the inclusion of children as they've always been included. Uh, 1 Corinthians 7, where Paul says the children of believers are holy. Um, putting them, in a, in a, again, in a different status than the children of unbelievers, uh, again, very much in line with well, what we see in the Old Testament. And just so over and over, it just appeared to me that the biblical authors presuppose the inclusion of children. So that was one of the, the things that struck me. Another thing that struck me was that I, it appears that the New Covenant is still mixed. Just like the old was, just like the old had wheat and tares, just as the old had elect and reprobate, uh, just as the old had the Jacob's and the Esau's, so too in the in the new covenant. So, for example, in Hebrews 10:29, there is this person who was sanctified by the blood of the covenant, and then he fell away. Mm-hmm. And how can that happen if, uh, if you're a Baptist and you believe, well, only believers are are in the covenant. And if you're a Calvinist and you believe that you can't lose your salvation, that God, that 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 you uh, persevere, uh, then how can you have somebody who was actually saved, actually in the covenant, and fell away? Well, you either have to lose your belief in perseverance of the saints, or you have to lose your your belief in in that, that kind of covenant theology. Uh, so it just appeared that the the new covenant was mixed, just as the old was uh, as well. And um, and then I think a third thing that happened as well was uh, kind of a, a fresh reading of uh, I was reading through Jeremiah thirty one and the promise of the uh, new covenant and um, uh, Richard Platt had a great article about that where he was speaking about how um, Jeremiah thirty one is talking about things talking about new covenant realities that um, some of those things that that Jeremiah 31 is talking about happened when Jesus came uh, the first time, but some of those things won't be fully realized until the second coming of Christ. And so Jeremiah 31 is speaking about realities that perhaps began when Jesus first came two thousand years ago but won't be finally here until until the second coming and of course one of the one of the 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 promises in jeremiah 31 that baptists like to note is all will know the lord and so in in the new covenant all will know the lord and so baptists will use that and say well that means that if you don't know the lord in a born again mature way then you are not in the covenant because Jeremiah 31 says all will know the Lord. And that is a goal that we are working toward that will not be fully realized until the second coming of Christ. Until then, the wheat and tares grow together. Until then, we're in a mixed covenant. And and sadly, we do see uh, even in the book of Hebrews, Hebrews 6, Hebrews 10, people are part of the covenant, but they fall away. Uh, Herman Bovink uses the language: there are some people in the covenant, but not of the covenant. And so, there's people who are with us, but not really, not really with us. They're amongst us, but not, but not with us. They're 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 here, but they might fall away. And sadly, we we see that sometimes um, in the church life. So, those are um, a couple of reasons where where I, I was really. Um, convicted that the Baptistic way was not understanding the covenants well, and that the Reformed really had a a good solid view of how the covenants are unfolding in a unified way. Yes, there's s- some diversity here, but uh, we're not missing the underlying continuity that um, so many others uh, have have missed. So, Zach, any any um, concluding um, kind of um, thoughts you have, or?
0: I don't think so, but I think maybe what we could do in the future is maybe have an entire episode, I would say, maybe on Jeremiah 31, yeah, just cool. to really dig into that deeply, because I do think that becomes the place, inevitably, where this conversation goes, and to your point, I think that that article by Pratt's really good. Maybe we can link that in the show notes page as well, because it's very helpful to show that, yes, oftentimes, the uh, you'll find this throughout the prophets. That they will speak about the future messianic age in a fully realized a fully consummate way mm-hmm. that wasn't entirely um uh, that's not entirely realized until christ's second coming uh, they weren't seeing the two comings of christ with the level of clarity that we now have and so that oftentimes are referred to as the prophetic perspective but uh, that might be worth a whole episode at some point um, also so we hope that uh, you found this to be helpful and uh, thank you for joining us here. We'll continue, continue with this series um, in the uh, next few weeks. But um, until next time, check us out, cincyreformed.org. And uh, always feel free to visit us on the west side of Cincinnati at west Side Reformed Church. Thanks so much. Bye.